What up, Slades? How we doing today? Welcome to the Leeds Edutainment Podcast. We are today, we are talking to Terminology, New England's finest. I gotta type this, I always, yeah. Here's the classic introduction of me. Hey, I gotta type this in. <laughs> Kane Major, what up? With interview with term terminology. Always gotta be careful when you type out terminology because it always likes to spell correct you. And I'm putting the I in there. <laughs> oh, let's pin that. Okay. Spell check is working. Aztec, what up? Kane, what up? You working today? We're going to wait for terminology to check in. Like I said, my name is Leeds. It's the Leeds Edutainment Podcast on IG Live. This week we're talking to New England's, one of New England's biggest rappers, hustling rappers, terminology. Shout out ST the Squad. We're just going to wait for him to check in. In the meantime, we got some people rolling in. The Real Shaken Dog. What up? Feel free to ask any questions. Anybody rolling in? Yeah. Emit, I'm tired 91. I like that. Feeling kind of tired right now. Worked 14 hours yesterday delivering food. The real Fredo Yo. Fred, the real Freddy Low. What up? Shanda Soundoff. What up? Yeah, yeah. Capone, 77. What's good? Feel free to type any questions in. Uh, I'll try to get to them later with term. Um, but, yeah. Get some people rolling in. Fran1293, what's going on? Yep. All right. Ariana Rose, 625, what up? And for those listening on... Something else, this is just me shouting out everybody who's checking in on IG Live right now, waiting for term. He will, I believe, be on time. He texted me, he's like, I might have rolled 30 deep, but I was always on time, so let's see. Oh, the Freddie Lowe says, uh, tell us the craziest Middle East story. Well, you know, I don't know if I can do that in a public forum. Craziest one, huh? Uh, well, DMX randomly showing up with Swizz Beats during a Scarface show and coming out and performing was probably one of the most craziest things uh, I experienced. One of the most exciting ones. Deeply rooted hip-hop in the building. What up? Black Sea, what up? Yeah, <laughs> deeply rooted. If those red walls could talk, well, it, red, it could be red, it could be blue. It was painted every other month because they would get tagged up within a few weeks. <laughs> uh, Middle East is not, you know, we'll see what happens with the Middle East. Someone said, damn, I missed the Middle East. We'll see what's happening. You know, see, they might come back. You never know with those guys. They bounce back. <laughs> they stumble, they fall down, they get back up. Black Sea, got anything new coming up? <laughs> Someone wrote in the comments, I don't miss that smell of the Middle East. Yeah, it's because that was in the uh, that was in a basement and the uh, there were some septic plumbing issues that were 
never fully corrected. <laughs> oh, the so terminology is here. He is in the building. Just gotta wait for him to request me here, and we'll get we'll get talking with him. East side, she's what up. Here we go. Here he is. I think it's coming. I hit request. Oh, yeah. there he is. What's up, brother? What's going on? Good, man. I can't complain. How you doing? I'm hanging in there. So uh, what are you doing now that you can't do shows? Well, I do this. <laughs> Uh, I've been doing digital marketing, too, for helping artists uh, promote their stuff and their releases. I've been doing that. And then I've been doing some food delivery on the side as well, snow shoveling, whatever it takes, man, <laughs> whatever it takes to pay the bills, you know? Yeah, I hear um, that. But that's just kind of what it is, you know? But I'm good. You know, I'm not, I'm not like, dying or struggling like other people. I'm, I'm hanging in there, so yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I, I did a lot of hard work for oh, a lot of did years. Did I lose you? The connection was... <laughs> Connection uh, there? You're fucked up. Well, what's up? You're good now. I just you paused for a second. Okay. Yeah. No, I was saying, man, you did a lot of hard work for a lot of years, so I'm sure you know that set you up. Yeah. I mean, you know, people thought I made a lot more money than I actually did. You know, <laughs> but you know, I'm not in a bad place. I was, I was smart with it, so you know, I right. I'm not like. Up, but uh, you know, I'm. Hanging in there. How about you? What are you? Uh, are you hanging in there? What are you doing with no shows? Um, you know what, man? I'm gonna keep it real with you. Like, it hasn't really hurt me because I wasn't that popping anyway. Oh, really? <laughs> it just, it just kind of caught me. Like, it kind of caught me at a time in my career where I was probably doing maybe 50 shows a year, maybe you know, one a week, or you know, I'd have like a solid week where I'd have a tour, and then like maybe once a month. Like, so it kind of didn't really hurt me, man. I was able to just. Uh, just make more music, spend more time in the studio. It didn't hurt your merch game. I figured you sold more merch it, at shows. It, it did. It did hurt the merch, though. I think. I think the terminology merch was hurt. But in the meantime, like the Good Dad Gang merch uh, started making double because then I was able to focus more on like on doing what I wasn't doing, which was like promotions on like office work and shit like that. So it's it's kind of it's kind of crazy, man. It all just it just all leveled out, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, for those who don't know, you know, me and you, uh, you know, we've gone, we've known each other for a long time. You know, you're actually, you actually were in the game a little bit before I got into the game, actually. I used to, before I was a promoter, I, I seen you open up at shows at the Middle East in the late 90s. Um, am I correct in saying that? Nine, yeah. Late 90s you were performing? 99 was the first time that I performed at Middle East. And that was you and Ed Rock, uh, aka Easy Money, as Street, right? That was the combo at the time. Yeah, that was the group, man. And then, you know, we signed the Detonated Records. So, you know, Pete used to throw shows there with acrobatic and stuff. Also, like around 2000, 2001 was the, uh, the Super Bowl battles and all that. So, you know, we would go there. Easy was in the battle. He actually won one of the battles, one of the first battles. I believe it was 2001 or 2000. Yep, I was there for that. I saw that. And the day the the day the Tuck rule, remember the day the Tuck rule happened, the Raiders the Raiders game with the Patriots where uh, Tom Brady did the Tuck thing. That was also a show at the Middle East, and like the whole show stopped. We all watched the game, and then when the game was over, we continued the show. Yeah, yeah. Those were how old were you during that time? Um, shit. Well, I was in high school till two thousand two. <laughs> I graduated two thousand and two. Yeah, so you uh, but, were like uh, I, I would say like I started doing the shows like around in Boston like around like 17, 18. Yeah. And then you know, just kept rocking ever since. All the way up until, you know, last year I did shows at the Middle East every year. Like several shows at the Middle East. All the way oh, up. Oh yeah. Obviously Corona, you know. So, you know, you you're from Lawrence or Haverhill. I always get this both. backwards. Both um like my whole family's from Lawrence. I was born there. I grew up mm -hmm. there. And then my mom moved to Haverhill, so I went to school in Haverhill. So a lot yeah. of people kind of didn't really know what it was. And, like, when you're from two cities, man, it's, it's crazy, bro. Like, one side of the city will be like, nah, he's from here. And then they're like, nah, he's from there. And then they'll be like, they don't you like you. They're like, nah, he's not from here. So 
you know, it was it was always a lot of back and forth with that. But yeah, I'm really I'm really from both. You know, my whole family is from Lawrence, and you know that's what I rep and what I put on the map. But definitely, you know, Haver was a big part of my come up where I met Easy Money and Artisan and Snug, and put in a lot of work out there too in the underground as well. Yeah, because I mean, I'm from you know I grew up in Georgetown, spent a lot okay. of time in Haverhill. My grandmother yeah. lived in Haverhill, and then when I, and I moved to Southern New Hampshire, I went to school like right on the border of Haverhill and Plastow. So I mean, I knew that area well, and and, and Lawrence was always where we would go, oh, yeah. to, you know, get the get the best deals on weed. <laughs> yeah. So I spent a lot of time in those areas. <laughs> yeah, I want to talk about a lot of. Yeah, it's a lot of culture in the 978, you know what I mean? And it, it's cool, man, because it's like we were able to bring that shit to Boston and, and, and get them familiar with the 978 as well. Because when I first started coming to Boston, they weren't familiar with the 978 at all. You know what I'm saying? So it was yeah, like... Yeah, I mean, I remember... I remember... Yeah, go ahead. No, I was saying even artists like uh like Scientific, which was, which was like the one um, that, that was like the first one to break through from Lawrence and then... Like even him, where he passed away so early, it was like before our era, and it was before like, you know, the resurgence of the underground with like Brick Records and all that. How they broke through and funneled their way through like the Boston underground. So we were really it. It was like me, Rex, and Easy Money were like we're really it, you know, along with a couple of other groups. Crumb Stature from Lawrence, wasn't he? Yeah, Crumb was from Lawrence too. He de he definitely was from Lawrence, but he wasn't one of them artists that like that felt the need to like. Lawrence, Lawrence Haverhill, 978. He just, he kind of blew up before all that. And he just, he's all right. He's crumb snatcher. That's with Gangstar. He's good. So nobody kind of cared. But with us, we had a, we had to earn it a little bit more in a way. Cause we were doing all these shows in the 617 and everybody would come up 617, put your hands up 617 in the house. When I say six, what you, you know, six, four, you say seven, all that. So like when it came to us, it was like people felt some type of way if we rep Boston, cause we were really from the other side. And it was like, we had to come up with something, and that's where we came up with the 978 movement. Yeah. I mean, I remember when <clears throat> everything was 617. It was, you know, and then it went to 508, and then it went to 978. 977. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's an important point that you just brought up about, like, being not actually from Boston, but almost, like, it was weird. It's like anyone in Massachusetts at that time, late 90s or, you know, 2000s, was like you had to be – it was considered Boston hip-hop because the shows were in Boston or Cambridge. But you weren't necessarily had to be from there. You just had to be able to get there. But a lot of Bostonians that were, like, from Boston took it personal. Like, you're not actually from Boston. I mean, I caught a lot of heat myself. I know you did, too. But the reality was, is Boston was the hub for New England. So, like, we didn't, we weren't intentionally trying to say we were from Boston. It was just that's where we were at, performing and doing our thing, you know. And uh, it was over the last ten years, I've seen it kind of calm down a lot. But, um, but yeah, that was that was rough in the beginning. People did not did not want to give us any uh, Boston uh, love for a while there. Nah, it was. There, there's levels to this shit, you know what I mean, and. It, and there's something that there's something that goes to be said about all of the people that built the Boston underground scene. You know what I mean? Right. From the city or not, a lot of a lot of hard work went into into building up the scene. You know what I mean? And um, people like Rex and Static and even Ed OG, like all kinds of just different people from all different cities, put in like an enormous amount of work. Yourself, so many man, all these other groups that it would be too many to name, but we all like built that shit up. Um, to the point where it was like other artists all over the world I would go, they'd be like, yo, what's that little club, the little grimy one in the basement, the one that's always popping in the fam? I'm like, yeah, Middle East, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it was crazy because it, it was like I would hear them talk about it outside of Mass and outside of even America, like people would know about it. And I'd be like, to me, I'd be laughing because that's our backyard, that's like home. But I'd be laughing at like how much they loved it. And I was like, yeah, it worked. We got something special over there at the Middle East, you know? Yeah. I want to talk about Lawrence in general because that that city has transformed a lot and there's a lot going down with it. I mean, describe for people that don't know Lawrence, you know, um, <laughs> outside of Massachusetts. I mean, what's it like growing up there and living there? And it's yeah. a chaotic place these days. Well, I would so say it's been like, a big chaotic place for a while. I was I was coming up there in the crack era. Like I lived in the '80s. Uh, I was born in 1982 in Lawrence General Hospital. 
Also, Static Selector was born in the same hospital, same year. So that's a whole nother story. But, you know, I was born there. Uh, my mother was born in the Beacon Projects. Like, you know, there grew up in the Beacon Projects. My father was born in Puerto Rico, but moved to Lawrence had too. So my entire family is from Lawrence. That's it. Like, my father has seven brothers, and we got 50 cousins, and the whole story all the way down. So we all from there, for real. And um, and we grew up there when it was bad. When it, it, It's still bad, but, like, it's bad, but everybody got an iPhone. So it's not bad. Like, when I grew up there, we didn't have heat, you know. It was like you barely you barely had any heat, like you barely had any food. It was just like it was hood. It was the crack era. It was it was violent, it was poor, uh, it was real sad, it was just a messy place. So um just growing up there, that shit just made you real tough. You had to fight all the time, couldn't have nothing nice, couldn't have a coat or nice sneakers or a walkman or a bike. It was just like, you know, them eighties and nineties years were was real tough. And um that's the reason why in 94, my mom decided to move to Haverhill because she figured, all right, let me go to this city over here. It's a little nicer. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're moving into the worst street on Haverhill, in Haverhill, because you're poor. You're moving me right back to another hood, just a different hood, you know? Which street was that in Haverhill? So the first street I moved to was White Street, but I lived on White and Nickel. So Nickel Street is the worst street in Haverhill, and yeah. that's where my first crib was. Uh, there, then I lived in Central Street uh, as well, where I met Easy. And just, you know, it was, it was just, it was still messed up. You know what I mean? Just, just that era was real messed up. But, uh, but yeah, man, it's just predominantly like a poor, poor area. Uh, Lawrence, I'm speaking of mostly Latino people. And um, there's a lot of culture in it, but it, it was like, it was just like a tough place. So, you know, growing up there, you, the rhymes came out good, as you can see, like with my shit, you know, Rex, Crumb, Scientific, as MCs, that shit birthed some crazy, some crazy experiences that we were able to like get out there with our pen. Yeah, <laughs> my car uh, went missing one night, and uh, they ended up finding it in Lawrence. If you can, be, if you can believe that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but um, <clears throat> uh, you know, back to the hip hop scene and, and shout out Law Town and everybody in Lawrence, Helltown, Haverhill. Mill cities, you know, I mean, those were city in Lowell, you know, those were all cities that were built up on with the mill factories. And when the mills went down, unfortunately, the cities suffered for that. And that's one of the big reasons. But um, yeah, but yeah, Massachusetts as a collective would pour like myself, you we pour into the Middle East because that's where the hip hop shows were. And <clears throat> I want to also talk about, you know, you, you make a name for yourself with street, you get out there and then, but I want to talk about, um, you know, you putting mixtapes out together i want to talk about the relationship with static after that yeah it seems like after that <clears throat> you go solo do single with brick i'm guessing right and um you and static really kind of align at this moment i'm thinking this, this is like 2005 ish i'm thinking around that time yeah probably we were, known each other but we were cool for a long time but i right. really like really decided to like really work together and like around 04 you know, 04, 05 is when we really clicked up and he started doing big things and just kind of was like, yo, look, man, this is the whole lane I got going on here. If you want to get with it, be where I tell you to be. So he'd be like, yo, I'm going here, I'm going there. And I just show up and, uh, you know, just kind of roll with him everywhere. And we had all these great ideas and plans to start these labels. We went from just putting together mixtapes and stuff to actually creating two labels with show off records. Um, and ST Records. So it was like, we both kind of had this boss mentality, this hustler mentality. We all, you know, we put up our own money and, and threw ourselves around the world to be at the right places. Um, and just kind of everything just eventually fell, fell together perfectly. Yeah, because I mean, and I want to go back to, you know, your work ethic. I didn't go back. We're going to talk about it. Because I felt like you, you and Static's work ethic is incredible. Like it's, I, I'm a worker and I'm even fascinated by you guys work. Like you guys, it seems like you, you guys were like-minded in that area. Where did that work ethic come from in you? Because I mean, it, it's second to none, man, out here, man. I mean, you yeah. out hustle, you, you out hustle everybody, almost yeah. everybody. As many people as I know, you work harder. Where did that come from? I think it was just like, um, you know, the love for the art, just to be real, I just loved hip hop. I grew up loving hip hop and being obsessed with the culture. And, um, you know, I'm, I have a real obsessive personality. Once I get obsessed with something, I'm just on it. And like, once I realized that 
you know, the, the writing and the rapping and shit was like, was my passion, was my calling. Um, I just went hard with that shit. Like before I ever even released music, I had hundreds of songs written. And um, I was making little basement tapes, you know, little demos in my man's basement. My man Prophecy, he had a little four track recorder. So we would do, you know, we would do demos in his basement, which then turned to when we were like 15, then we started getting real studio time and then driving to Boston, getting studio time out there, um, you know, which eventually led to me getting my first record deal uh, with Centerfield Records in uh, 2001. I was still in high school at the time and uh, me and Easy put out Street. So once we put out Street, we did well that, you know, we had it in Tower Records. I'm talking, I'm in high school and I got music in Tower Records. I'm already going on tour, opening for Acrobatic and, um, and other people, but uh, but that led to me getting the detonated deal, the solo deal. And so that's what I meant. I said brick, but I meant that. And I ended up on detonator. Um, and then you know detonator put that that out that single, and we tore. What was again. the name of that one? What was the name of that all, one? I know it was the first single, the first solo single. All I know. All I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I had G's, that on twelve inch. That was like when the launch pad was like fresh and new and. I had G spend, you know, he was loving everything me and Easy was doing, so he was going crazy, running that, you know, running that joint back and playing it on jamming. So that's a lot of fame for a young kid to have, man. You know what I'm saying? Um, going on tour, being in the stores, uh, being very popular, doing all kinds of concerts and shows, and I just had the hunger for more. I immediately knew, like, I wanted to work with Primo, and Pete Rock, and and, and RZA, and people like that. So I guess um, as I just started like climbing up the ladder, I just it was like never felt like enough. I'm like, I got a mixtape out, but it ain't doing it ain't doing enough. I got three vinyls out, but they ain't doing enough. I did a concert, but it ain't enough. So then it was like, it just kept the hunger for more was just there. And then obviously when I linked up with Static, he had the same mentality, but he was in the music industry already. He moved to New York in 2004. Um, so then he was showing me a whole different light of shit. Like I was shining in Boston and shining around. Um, but you know, when I started rolling with Static, then I started like, shining around my heroes and being around a different type of crowd. So yeah, man, I, ever since then, it's just been like two, three projects a year ever since, you know, it just, it, it don't stop. And besides making music, you pop up everywhere. <laughs> you know, you're working <laughs> here, you're there, you're there, you're everywhere. Like, yeah. it's just nonstop with you. It, it really is. Do you sleep? I do. I do. Uh, last night, I got a lot of sleep. You know, I try, I try to, I try to, I try to get sleep when I can, man. But to be honest, I you know I just stay on the grind, bro. I've been um, I've done something that I think I would like to say I'm the only person to do. Like I would say that um, over the last like ten years, a little bit more, I've drove to Boston. You know, drove myself to Boston, from from Boston to New York or from the nine seven eight to New York every single week, by myself, no matter what. Like no weeks off, or you know, go for a whole week, then come back for a week, go for a week, come back for a week. So. You know, with that type of uh, with that type of grind, it's the only good things are gonna come out of that. You know what I'm saying? If you're just if you're staying on the go and you're staying in sessions and just being there is usually what'll get 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 the job done for you. You know what I'm saying? You're in the room and the right people are in the room. They're gonna they're gonna call on you and you're ready. You're gonna get it. So that that's how I got a lot of shit popping. Was just was just uh, sacrificing like family life and like having a girl or having a um you know have being able to sleep or doing fun shit like everybody else hanging out with their family and all that like i've sacrificed that and gave my whole life to the rap game and the, and i think you know with, with me putting out 41 projects and doing like 500 features you could see what it is you know those are the results yeah and i want to talk about you being in the right place at the right time i mean your networking game really your attitude towards that I mean, I've seen you show respect to the uh, the most popular person in the room, to the door person at the club, to the security guard. I mean, you show love, you show respect, and you bring a level of positivity around you. That really pays off, I think. I think people like you and want to work with you, and I think you've really kind of mastered that skill of just, you know, I'm going to show you love, I'm going to bring positive energy, and then you get that back. Yeah, man, that's something that that I pride myself on, you know? It's like, uh, especially how we spoke a little bit before about growing up poor. I could never, like, get a bit of fame or a couple of dollars and start treating people wrong. It's, it wouldn't sit right with my spirit, you know? I've always kind of been, like, the nice guy. I've always tried to be, like, the nice guy because I think being anything else for me would be fake. 
Um, now, of course, there's times there's adversity where things are going to go wrong and you're going to have to get tough. But like for the most part, man, I think um, just just always being cool to everybody and networking and um, and being at the right place at the right time. That shit has has worked wonders for me, you know, definitely. Yeah. I also want to talk about the watch our go down um, and, and that collaboration, because that was a big jump for you. I remember seeing it. Yeah. Um, you know, you got a pre DJ premiere beat and it was fire and the track was fire. And that was like, you know, that was, that was, that was pretty monumental for anybody in the Boston scene. And tell me how that whole, how that, how that went down <laughs> and, yeah. and what that was, what that process was like in working with Preen for the first time. And just, let's just talk about that. Yo, shout out to Easy Money in here. I see you. Shout out to your full feed. My brother's out <laughs> Uh, I seen Static in here. Shout out to my whole squad, family. I love y'all. Uh, the Watch How It Go Down story, man, uh, you know, I'll breeze through it because there's so many layers, but really, uh, Static got cool with Premiere, and he was, you know, going around Premiere whenever Premiere had concerts and shows, and, you know, even making his way over to Premiere Studio and things like that. So we would, uh, we would always be around Primo, like, you know, and I'm such a super fan of Primo that I would always be asking him, yo, can I get a beat? I need a beat. When can I get a beat? And he kind of just like would, would just kind of swerve me, like give me the like, you're not ready yet or you're not on that level yet. Or, you know, I wasn't ready yet, I guess. Um, and then finally, at one point, he started playing my records. I had a record, um, uh, uh, This Is Hip Hop, and he started playing that. So I was like, okay, I'm on his radar now. At least he's playing my music on the radio. He must know I'm dope. <laughs> And uh, Static was at his studio one day, and he played a beat, Watch Out Go Down. And he said, oh, this was for the Alchemist, but the Alchemist don't want it. And then so Static said, hey, do, Term would want it. Like, would you give that to Term? Like, he'll buy it right now. Uh, so he said, you think Term would want that? And he said, yeah, I know, I know Term would want that. So they called me on the phone, and um, they played me the beat over the phone. I'm like, yeah, I want it. I want it. And so go. Uh, so yeah, that was it. I got the beat and I took my time with it. It took me like about a whole month to like finally put the words down because I knew. I was like, no, I got to do something different on this. I got to go crazy. Um, so I kind of like told myself like, yo, this has to be the best shit you ever write ever. Like, because it's going to change your life. I was living in my mom's uh, attic in Haver at the time. And it was like, I did not want to be living there. You know, I wanted to be living in New York City. I wanted to be on tour with Static and Primo. I wanted to, to level my life up. Um, so I felt that I felt that need to like really go crazy when I was writing it, and um, and man, my whole life changed after. I used to get like two hundred dollars a show before Watch How It Go Down, and then after that, it was a thousand, two thousand, you know, whatever the crowd was and whatever the the venue was. So it was just like really life changing for me. It honestly changed my whole life for real. Word, <clears throat> and you were on the. There's pictures of you on the same team, uh, the Gangstar same teams uh, video shoot. Did, did yeah. you? Uh, I remember you talking about meeting Guru even and talking to Guru. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did that on my own. That was even before I linked with Static. That was because right. it was a point where I was signed to Crumb Snatcher uh, in 03, and he was on my first mixtape, Her Politics, twice. So during that time, he'd be like, yo, let's go to New York. I'm going to meet with Pete Rock. Come with me. Yo, uh, come to New York. We're going to this Gangstar video. So I'm in the whip. And I'm, in the I'm in the back seat. You know, Guru's driving. Crumbs in the front. I'm in the back, and we're playing him my 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 CD, my beat, my beat CD, like crazy shit, you know, like demos that I and um and it was just crazy, man, to just to have those experiences. Rest in peace, um, Guru. It's just it's so fly. I got to be in the video. I got to play in my demos, ride around in the car with him, do studio sessions, you know, all of that with Guru through Crumb because Crumb believed in me first. And then, you know, when Crumb kind of went on his own and started doing his own thing, that's that's basically where I started linking with Static. Because, you know, nothing was going to stop me. It didn't matter who I linked with. Like, I was going to get this shit done no matter what, you know. But I was done, I was really able to align with, like, some of the right people that really put me at the right place at the right time, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I think your connection's a little loose. I don't know. You're a little in and out. Let's see if we can adjust About that. Me? You're just you're, you're blurry a little bit. I don't know. Does it look blurry right. on your end? Hold on a second. Just want to make sure we get this right. One second. Hold up. 
<clears throat> we might temporarily lose term, but I want to make sure we get this right because this is a good interview and uh, he's got a lot of good stuff to say here. <clears throat> Shout out everybody in the uh, com. Oh, is he back? How's it? How's it now? Yeah, you're a little blurry, <laughs> but we'll, we'll make it work. Yeah, Yo, you crazy easy. Term got the Metro PC. <laughs> easy Bunny <laughs> says, Term got the Metro PC. Yes. This <laughs> brother on Saturday. Uh -oh. Classic. You know I'm excited for that versus on Saturday. Oh yeah, I don't know how they're gonna do it. Ghost versus Ray. I mean, they're on so many songs together. I don't know how you do it. It's kind of like they're battling in the mirror. It's like it should be like Ray and Ghost versus Red and Meth. That should be the that should yeah. be the verses, right? Yeah, something like that. Everybody say uh. Kissing Styles today, Kissing Styles versus Ray and Ghost. That would have been cool. Yeah, cool. So yeah, so watch how it goes down. So that that drops independently, right? Like that was all on you with your label or whatever that, yeah, that paid yeah. for that and did all that. Yeah, that's that's true. That's a fact. Um, you know, we came up with the money, me, Static, and one of my other mans, um, which I paid everybody back at the end. But you know, in the beginning, we all we all kind of threw our money in the pot. We got the beat, Static shot the video. We got um, Brick to press up the single. Single did well. We did the remix. We got Brick to press up that single. Um, and then that shit just, that shit led to um, to me getting a so amazing beat, which I, I also bought independently uh, with my own bread. And then that led to the, to the Nature Sounds deal, which was, you know, then that was it. Like after, after that, I was out of here. Yeah, and I want to talk about that because uh, <clears throat> that era was like you were like adamant about trying to get signed. Like you were right. like, I'm I'm hustling, doing all this. I'm, the goal was to get signed, and that was a lot of people's goal back then. Um, you worked, you worked this hard, and then you basically. And, and I remember you were get you were pretty disgruntled a little bit because people were just passing on you, and, and you were you had you were doing everything that everybody else that was getting signed was doing. And it was like you were getting overlooked. And I, I could tell that was bothering you and it would bother anybody. Yeah. But when you got the nature sound, and that, that song so amazing is kind of talking about that a little bit. Yeah. <clears throat> and you finally get the deal with um, Nature Sounds, which was a, was a which was indie label, right? Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. It was an indie label that had major, uh, major label distribution. Yeah. And they had done a lot. I, I've actually worked with a Devin. Uh, Devin's the CEO over there, right? Um, is he guy. still there? Was he there? When... Yeah, he was, the, he was the owner. Yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah, he was a cool dude. And, um, you know, they did a lot of, they did a lot of, like, Wu-Tang. I mean, they did, like, I, I worked with them on with Metro Concepts on the Wu-Tang records and stuff like that. They did Rugged Man. They put out a lot of good stuff. Yeah, even but what was it? What was it like to be on there? <clears throat> How did that, you know, basically you got signed at that point, you know, all that work, you finally get signed. It's, it's a, it's a good deal. What was the deal without, you know, I don't want you to tell me obviously all the stuff you don't want to, but what was the deal like? And did you think it was worth it? And, and you put, and you put out politics as usual, that album, which is, I'm guessing your probably biggest album, I'm guessing. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it was pre-streaming era. Yep. So, you know, I have nothing to compare it to now you know what i mean because it was like the streaming now we're comparing what what streams the most but uh definitely the most physical copies i ever sold the most those i have um I, I did the red and meth uh tour so it was 60 shows with red and meth um you know the rap vans we had like four rap buses and vans we had all kinds of shit man i'm sure you remember those and um yeah it was just it was it was cool because it was like a at that point, I was really like making history because you remember, um, in that time, they just Boston artists just wasn't making noise like that. It was a weird time that was like in between, like when Almighty RSO and Benzino and the Maidman they had a lot of success, and it went from like them being popping and like some underground cats like Ak and Lyft and a few others uh, having underground success, and then it was like a long time when nothing happened. Yep. And so so during that long time, I was in New York that whole time. But when I'm in New York, every time I come to do a show, they're like, straight from Boston, Mass, terminology. 
So I have to go up on the mic and be like, yeah, what's up? I'm from, and they're already like kind of mad because they don't fuck with Boston. So there was a whole long period of time where I really had to put Boston on the map, even though I wasn't from the inner city of Boston, but I had to carry that shit on my back for a long time. And um, I think with those primo joints, with whole like Watch How It Go Down, So Amazing, How We Rock, uh, the Red MF tour, the Prodigy song, you know, all those all those big moments that I had at that time, it really like solidified my name uh in the music industry to the point where like people respected me. They didn't care where I was from anymore. Um and for my hood specifically, for me writing Welcome to Lawrence on the album cover and having that shit everywhere in every source magazine, double XL, big huge fucking life size posters everywhere of the shit, uh TI talking about me on MTV. Just like at that time it was like I really did it for the city, you know, for Lawrence, for Haverhill, for Boston, for New England. I really just did it big that year. And you remember, because I had my first sold out show at the Middle East with that album. Um, so, yeah, the, the buzz was crazy. It was like we did it big. And then the next year it was like, all right, you're still independent. You know, now what? So you had to get right back to it because the Nature Sounds deal folded with the industry. The, uh, the music industry was like kind of collapsing at that time. It was going from like where they had a lot of people to street team, to no street team, to A&Rs, to no A&Rs, to the games going digital. So it was like uh, with me losing that deal, I was a free agent again. And it was right back, you know, right back to it. Yeah, what people don't realize in in New York maybe is it might be more New York hats and Lawrence than Boston yeah. hats. <laughs> yeah, please, that's kind of like the only place in Mexico where motherfuckers don't give a fuck about none of that shit, you know? Well, there's a lot of New York in Lawrence, right? A lot of people from a lot of people that come from Dominican Republic. They don't they don't care to understand the street politics or the, right. or the underlying rules of what is in Boston because they're coming straight from Dominican Republic or Puerto Rico to Lawrence and they're staying in Lawrence. So there's there's kind of like no, you know, there's no unwritten rule or no issue with it. Right. <clears throat> so then the 1982 projects those come out after. The, the major deal, right? You and Static yeah. of the 1982? Exactly. So right, at, right after, you know, right after the Nature Sounds thing is over, we drop a couple mixtapes and then I moved to New York in 07. So once I move over there, you know, Static and I are hanging tough and we decide that we want to make the group 1982. We drop our first album in 2000. Yeah. Talk to me about living in New York or make that transition. You know, um, obviously growing up, listening to everything from New York and inspired by it. And now you're living there. Where were you living in in New York? What was that experience like? Oh, I think we lost you. Yep. When I first, when I. Well, yo, term, your connection's a little. You good now? All right. Yeah, how about now? Yeah, I can hear you. <clears throat> yeah, no, nah, I, I I lived in the Bronx. I moved to the Bronx. Um. And I lived in the Bronx, you know, 07, 08, 09, and uh, 2010. So I lived out there for about three and a half, four years. And um, that shit was ill because it was like I was taking a bus. I would get dropped off. Like I was living in Haverhill. I would get dropped off from Haverhill to Boston at the Fungwild bus. Then I would take a bus from Boston to Manhattan. Then I would get get off there and take a train from Manhattan to the Bronx. So... Uh, and I had to go home every Sunday because I had my daughter and I had a court order that I had to see my daughter. Uh, and if I wasn't there on the Sunday, then I would lose my visitation, which I fought very hard to get. So it was like, even though I lived in New York, I had to be in Haverhill every Sunday. Um, you know, so there was, a, there was a time where it was like that. It was like, yo, running around, train, bus, all, all while popping, all while being popping. Like I'm popping as an artist. I'm making money. I'm on tour. I'm doing major tracks, all that shit. It's all happening at the same time. So um, when I finally leveled up and like, you know, got my own spot and, uh, you know, was able to edit things um, back home and was able to get a whip and have just more freedom, it would it, it made life much easier for me. But those beginning years, though, it was very hard because I had to, you know, I had to maintain my status and the relationship with the child in and out of state every single week. So it was, it was a crazy, it was a crazy situation. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you talk about the sacrifice, right? That is perfect example of what yeah. it takes sometimes. 
Yeah, man, definitely. Especially pre-digital era, because you'd have like 200 mixtapes in your hand and you're running down the street with 200 mixtapes with your backpack, with your computer and your clothes and you're trying to hurry up and make the bus so you can get home in time to see the kid and then you got a show at the Middle East the same night because Leeds call you and he got a good opportunity and you don't want to say no. So, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it was just like that for years, man. And just, you know, to be a good dad and be, and be a consistent artist, you had to just, you had to just go for it all the time. It was, it was no time for sleep. And you really set the bar for that in, in mass, at least I can say. I don't know about other states, but I doubt anybody was doing it more proficient. Because, I mean, the, talk about the DIY, like the wrapped vans, the, what you just talked about. I mean, no digital era. You got to hand out your CD to everybody, try to sell it. The van's wrapped. You, know, you got to hang a poster for every project you do everywhere you can. Street teaming, hang up stickers, whatever it takes. I mean... That like that on top of everything you have to do to try to further your career. I mean, yeah. what a era that was for people that don't know what it took back then. Yeah, you didn't bro. have a lot of money. That's what you had to do. Yeah, and you know you'd hang stuff up and it get ripped down a few days later. You got to go back. You know, I mean, it was. Yeah, man. Talk about that, man. Because I, I'm from that era too. Yeah. I love, I love, I love that we came up in that era because now, now it feels like it's so easy. You know what I mean? The game feels so easy. Like I could go to like one of my friend's house right now, pull up four or five beats, rap on it, make, have him make a cover, put it on SoundCloud and it's out and that's it. I don't have to do shit. Like if I really wanted to, you know, um, you make a whole album in a week, no budget, do it at the homie's house, have the homie make the cover. And you're not going to, people ain't going to look at you like you're crazy. Like, what? You didn't drop a vinyl? You didn't drop a CD? There's no posters? There's no party? There's no, no. You don't have to do shit. You could just rap and drop it. And that, that right there is a luxury that this new era has. You know, that, that they're never going to miss what we had, you know, because they're not, they didn't, they didn't know it. So, um, but I do, I do like the fact that the merch is coming back. I think people like Griselda really helped a lot with putting, value back on a vinyl um th there's so many times that i've done shows and the merch will sit on the table nobody will buy it and then you know once this resurgence of merch came back it was like motherfuckers lying down the block again and it's just like it's all in waves you know people just rock with whatever's the wave so uh i think that it's really cool that companies like tough kong and air vinyl and um shop get on down and these other people were able to just ride that wave of like the fact that vinyl is back and merch is back um and and really pay the artists because you already know the streaming is very hard to get paid off streaming it's like every 15 streams you get one penny and you need you get four thousand dollars for a million streams it's not like you sold a million records you get a million dollars no you get four thousand dollars that's like you know rent or like a chain or you know what i'm saying it ain't shit. it's like it's bills and sneaker money and whatever the case. So uh, you definitely won't be rich if you get a million streams, you know? And before it was like, you strive to sell records. So I think that um, our era, that shit really like groomed people like me and Static and Rex and other people that were able to survive at OG. Some of us were able to survive through all this shit. And it's kind of coming back our way a little bit. Like, oh shit, people are paying 40, $50 for our vinyl again, instead of getting one fifteenth of a penny. Cause you like my song, you know, it is, it's a crazy thing. Yeah. And, and <laughs> yeah, it, the streaming, you know, it doesn't pay a lot, but it definitely, um, it's something at least, you know, cause look, we're also from the era where people just download it for free. <laughs> so <laughs> to get something now is better than, than better than nothing. Um, yeah. I want to talk about good dad, good dad gang. We're talking about merchandise and that whole, how that all came together. And from what you're telling me is, selling more of that than you are terminology um merchandise so let's talk about how that all started and where it is now and the, yeah. the, the phenomenon that came with that because everybody i've seen rocking that stuff it, it's yeah. it really worked yeah man the shit the shit was organic bro it was from the heart it was it came from a place of me telling you what i was telling you earlier you asked me how did i come up you know most of us grew up without our dad or with a bad relationship with our dad um in our era, your dad showing you love uh, wasn't, it's not like now. It's like, I love you, son, every day. Give him a hug, kiss, tell him I love him, text him in the morning. I love you, son. 
that shit was not that, you know, not, not, not in my neighborhood or not in my family or anything like that. It was like, uh, you might go years without your dad ever telling you he love you or he proud of you or anything or before you even see him, you might not even see him. Um, and, and, and shit like that. So, uh, I think that the initial idea and concept comes from that place. Um, but really just me having a, a good relationship with my kids, man, and loving hanging out with my kids and just thinking they're so cool and so amazing. That was really what I wanted to promote. And uh, as soon as I started promoting it, it just it had legs of really started taking off. People really gravitated towards it. And some people couldn't see their kids and it, it hit them a certain way. Some people was always with their kids and it hit them a certain way. So whether you're a good parent or a bad parent, you should be able to appreciate somebody being a good parent and wanting to be a good parent. Um, so yeah, man, that shit, that shit is just some real, some real shit. You know, it's not a gimmick. It's just real. It's from the heart. And um, I think like once people like, you know, Ludacris and Charlemagne the God and uh, Everlast from House of Pain, DJ Premier, just too many to name. But like once these important people in, in, in hip hop started wearing it, I think a lot of people started taking it more serious because they were understanding like, nah, this shit is, this shit is real. Like, and uh, and then doing the backpack giveaways every year, we were able to go back to my community um, and go into Lawrence, in the heart of Lawrence, one of the worst streets of Lawrence, and just sit there for hours and give away free food and clothes and 500 backpacks to the city. And I'm handing them out myself and taking pictures and doing, you know, just doing doing that real work that, that comes from the heart. Uh, that, that type of shit right there really just solidified the brand and, and took it to another level where, like I said, now it's out of here. It's like... You know, people are buying it every day from all. Yeah, I mean, how much how much merchandise do you have of that? Like, what are you selling? Shirts and T-shirts? What is it now? Yeah. You there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so. I how mean, many different items is there? Yeah, there, there's about 40 items now. Uh, it started out. Damn. Yeah, it started out as a T-shirt. I made one shirt. And I put it on the gram. This is October 6, 2014. And I said, hey, I got this idea. Good that gang. If you want a shirt, let me know. So I got 40 orders that day. And that day I knew. I was like, oh, it's on. You know, because I only had one shirt. I went to the flea market in Salem, New Hampshire, made one shirt. And um, I just, I knew it was lit after that. It was crazy. So then I made 200 and they sold out. And, um... You know, now you could go to the website, gooddadgang.com. You could buy a watch. We got Good Dad Gang watches. We got mugs. We got Good Mom Gang, you know. Uh, <laughs> we, yeah, we got pink shirts for the moms and, and black ones and white and uh, and hats and scullies. We got different type of fitteds and dad hats. We got uh, we got masks. You know, we, we got all kinds of stuff now, man. So uh, it's a beautiful thing, man. And I think I would like to... I would like to say that by the end of this year, going into next year, we're really going to take it to a new level. It's going to be bigger and better than it's ever been. I got some tricks up my sleeve and I've been working really hard on some stuff. I was able to collaborate with Diamond. You know, Diamond is, is a huge clothing company. So me collaborating with them last year um, led to some other stuff. So yeah, man, you know, Father's Day, we'll be right back at it with another, another couple big moves and then back to school. Hopefully the kids will be going back to school this year. And we'll be back at it with more backpacks and, and more school supplies for them, too. Crazy. True success story. Uh, you know, so now, you know, moving forward, we've got, uh, you know, let's talk about the new project, obviously, Goya, uh, Goya 3, right? Yeah. And that one is, uh, you know, this is album number what? This is my 41st project. 44, 41 projects. As a rapper, yeah, as a rapper. <laughs> Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. So this is this is number forty one and this is produced, you know, entirely by Short Fuse, Lawrence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Short Fuse is, is is my brother who's actually, you know, family to me. He's my cousin's cousin. We grew up together. We went to third grade together in Lawrence General Donovan. We went to fifth grade together, the Arlington. So he's like, that's my homie since a kid, and he's also my family's family. So, you know, that's family right there. Word. Anything unique about this project? Was this just a, uh, what was your uh, objection, you know, your inspiration with this one? Well, the Goya projects were really like, they were all heavily like Latin, like Spanish. Right. Um, you know, we heavily influenced by the beat nuts and people like that. 
uh, you know, obviously Fat Joe Pun, Cypress Hill, just anybody that had any like Latin flavor in their music, um, we always kind of like try to tap into that. And it, that really came from Fuse because he likes to sample a lot of Spanish music. Um, his father was a, a, a producer too, who sampled a lot of music too. So he kind of came with that flavor. And, you know, when I'm doing physiology with fame, we, we go to that MOP vibe, it gets real street and dark and grimy. You know, 1982, I'm rocking with Static. We get into these real soulful samples and like super lyrical vibe, you know? So uh, I got a couple of different vibes that I tap into. And um, one of them is like, is, is the Spanish vibe. And that's that's where we went with the Goya 3. So yeah, man, I opened my own studio in Brooklyn. It's called Time Is Money. And we opened up last August. And the plan was that we were gonna make an album there. So, um, you know, as soon as we opened up, I had Fuse come down to Brooklyn every week, bring the computer, bring the beats. And I just had different MCs come through. You see, like, the record with Nems and Fee. We did a video for, uh, you know, Planet Asia came through. Uh, too many people to name. Just a bunch of dope rappers came through. And we made our, you know, our first project at Time Is Money. Goya 3 is out now. Word. And I think the best show that we ever did was the first Goya release party. I think that was one of my favorites. That was, that was, with, that, that was with Sean Price, Rest in Peace, and Fame, yeah. right? They came through. That was the best one, bro. I would have to say that for sure, man. And you yep. had you had that big cutout of the Goya, <laughs> that big massive cutout of. Yeah, that was the best one, man. I would say, you know, there's so many, bro. Like, there's so many. I got I got personal ones. Like the time Mac Miller brought me out at his show, uh, the time Freddie Gibbs brought me out on his show. You know, this this time Mob Deep came out and I was just on stage watching them. The DJ Premier versus Pete Rock. Um, you know, there's been so many legendary moments at the Middle East, like so many, like, and you, you know, I know you were there for all of them. I was there for a lot of them, uh, a couple hundred of them for sure, but you was there for all of them. Uh, but the one that impacted me was like when me and Static brought Bum B down, that was a real special one too. Um, but yeah, the Goya one with, with Sean mm -hmm. Price, that was, that was the best one, bro. That was thinking back on it. Like we walked in through the back door with fame and, and Sean P with some openers on and everybody's going, go, yeah, go, yeah. And like, it was just so dope, man. You know, Sean Price has so much love. The fans loved him so much. And it was just perfect time for shows. That was a classic show. Who was the comedian? I always forget his name that was there that night. He's famous I now. I forget, but there was some, there was some big it was the It's the black comedian with the glasses that everybody loves. I know who you're talking about too, but I can't think of it. I know Tyler. Uh, oh, well, I'm going to type it in. Uh, there was a bunch of people that came through that night. Oh, here he is. I was, uh, oh, come on, come on. Hannibal Burress. Hannibal Burress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's that boy too. Yeah. He was just chilling on the side and, uh, he wasn't huge yet, but he was, he was coming up and he was just chilling. He was a big Sean P fan. He was just there chilling. And that, that was cool. My buddy's a comedian. He was like, oh my God, Hannibal Burress is here. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I want to talk about something real quick, Lise, because I feel like we have to talk about it. Uh-oh. There was a time, man, where it was like I was coming to the Middle East with like 20, 30, 40 people. <laughs> and it got to the point where you're like, yo, Term, you have to stop bringing the whole ST to the squad. There's too many. I could get maybe six of y'all in, maybe tonight, uh, maybe seven, but that's it. And I'd have like 50 people outside and everybody's calling me, trying to get in and yo, they won't let me in. Well, what were you thinking? How were you feeling during those times? Stressed. <laughs> you know, I, you know, you were a good dude and like, I wanted to help you out as much as I could. I remember that being a difficult situation for me because of your entourage. And it's not that your people, I had it. It was just the amount that you rolled with, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was, um, those times back then, it was just like I was getting a lot of heat from the club, having too many people backstage. So yeah. they were yelling at me, like, clear the ramp because it was a fire exit that went up. And depending on who's working security, I'd be getting yelled at left and right. So right. when you would roll with your crew, I'd have to be the bad guy sometimes and be like, yo, there can't be this many people back there. You guys never, you guys just did your thing anyway, <laughs> just throwing past me, but you know. <laughs> You know what though, bro? To be honest, we uh, we we always split it up though. There would be like twenty of us in the crowd, and I'd be like, "Yo, not tonight. Y'all gotta stay out here. 
chill by the merch booth, chill by the bar. And I would really take care of like the main members of ST. There would always end up being like about 10, 15 of us back there, you know, but we would always really be like about 30 deep. Um, so even with me, it was like, yo, they were calling and stressing me the whole time. They wanted to meet the artists or wanted to be on stage when I rock and shit like that. So it was, it was stressful for all of us, but you know, I don't, I don't take none of it back. It was, it was what made the Middle East the Middle East. You know what I'm saying? It was what made those shows what they are and what they were. So I love, I love those memories, man. And I hope we can someday, you know, get hip hop back yeah. to. I think we just settled on term plus 10. That was, yeah. the, the, that was just the number, dog. It was like, oh, term, term plus 10. Here we at go. The, at the end, it was kind of like, yo, bro, we, let's not do this tonight, bro. You know what it is. Oh, man. That's funny, man. Were you? Yeah, I mean, that happened a lot. You weren't the only one. You had the most people uh, for yeah. someone from Mass, but, you know, uh, that happened all the time. Like, I was I, constantly, that's why people probably thought I was the biggest asshole because I would always have to defend the backstage area only for the club and for the headliner. And yeah. that was just never, always put me in a bad place um, with the artists. And I hated being there, but I didn't have any choice, you know. Yeah. But you know, I'm glad we were able to <laughs> glad we were able to keep it cool and we did many shows and uh many classic memories. Um you know, I, that you said that Ben that Bun B show that we performed how I rock with Bun B. I remember you doing that and you were like after the song you were like, Did that just happen? Did we just do yeah. that? Like, you know, and oh uh, yeah. That was just such a huge moment, you know what I mean? Like We only knew Bun from being on oh. TV. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was like Bun B. We were like, that's the guy from the big pimping video. That's the guy from, you know what I mean? These big songs. And it was like, now he's at the Middle East rocking with us. You know, it was like you said, man, it was this legendary moments. Even Mac, before Mac blew up big, you know, we're, at this, we're there with Mac and he brought me out and we rocked out, turned it into a music video. And thank God we brought our kids. Yep. Back. Imagine, you know, right now it would just be in my mind, I'd be the only person. In my mind, I'd be like, yo, this happened, I'm telling you. And everybody would be like, yeah, because right. you got to show them, you know, for them to see it. But uh, I'm happy that that some of those, most of those shows were documented with pictures with people like Isaac and, you know, and other people that came with their cameras. Towards the end, I think you started hiring guys, right? Like Rose Glenn and shit like that. Yeah. I had a bunch of different people shooting and whatnot. I didn't always take pictures, but towards the end, I, I tried to get more. But there was always someone with a camera. <laughs> Again, yeah. trying to kick them back, you know, back, yeah. backstage, even with a camera, be like, I'm uh, get me backstage, I got a camera. <laughs> what do you think? I know, because now you got like 100 dudes showing up with cameras trying to get backstage and yeah. shit. <laughs> What's the future of, of, uh, of the underground hip-hop concert in Boston moving forward? I don't know. My concern is the smaller venues, and I've said this before with other people, the smaller ones have trouble surviving right now. And if those go down, you know, like that's going to be a big hit. If you don't have any 200 person spot, we'll see what happens with the Middle East. We don't really know. But, yeah. um, you know, those smaller ones, you know, like not everyone can do 500 people. So that's my yeah. biggest concern. So what's the what's the city saying now? What's, what is the city's like rules, I guess, right now? I heard it was like 50% capacity, but there's a lot of restrictions around that. Until it's 100, I don't really see anything changing, really, to be honest. Yeah, because people started hitting me up like, yo, when's the next show? The shit's open up. I'm like, it ain't like that, bro. There's not, nobody got no shit. There's nothing booked as of now. Dan Green actually hit me up, and he was telling me in New York it's at like 25% capacity, and you have to show, you know, like a COVID test and a, vaccine to get in anywhere like it's that serious wow yeah i'm not really sure how that's gonna play you know how how it's gonna pan out but uh for those of us that figured out how to get money without the shows i mean i guess for the money part we'll be all right but just for the just for the therapeutic aspect like going to a show and rapping was my shit that was i just like doing it you know what i mean i would show up to shows i wasn't even on as a fan and just sit there and watch dudes rock because it was just so dope to be a part of that. And um, kind of sucks that, that that's got taken from us. But um, I don't know. Hopefully this summer things will, will I guess, kind of open up a little bit and we'll see. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I'd be very surprised. I mean, I know people are booking the fall of 2021, but I, I'd be very surprised. 
I mean, I think that would be the earliest at the most. Um, That's crazy. We will see. But all right, Term, I'm going to wrap this up. But, man, salute to you, brother, on your 41st project. Thank Um, you, man. And your your longevity in this rap game and and, uh, everything you've accomplished, man. It it is inspiring for anybody, you know, from where you've come from to where you are now, man. And uh, many more good years to come to all you and your fam. And shout out ST, shout out Static, shout out to everybody. And uh, hopefully we'll be working together soon. That's right, bro. Thanks for having me, man. Salute. All right, later.